0: Good morning, Journey Church. Happy Daylight Savings. Why don't we go ahead and stand and worship our one true king.
1: The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. darkness falls and won't prevail. Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. Oh my God will
0: journey. I'm hoping everyone's having a wonderful day. I'm excited that I get to just welcome us into service today and just do a little mindset message, if you will. Because I think about that song, I think about those words, I see a victory. And, you know, we came in and, and, you know, you could have had challenges coming in today, and it's not because of Daylight Savings. (laughs) It could have been just because you might feel defeated. You might feel like the world, the weight of the world is on your shoulders, that there is... There's angst, there's worry, there's challenge. And yes, that is true. We're not naive to that. But we serve a miraculous and a mighty God, do we not? Do we not? And the fact of the matter is, and the fact is is, is that we, 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 we serve a God that is not small by any stretch of the imagination. Sometimes I think God is so big, but he, he, uh, the, the, hinder, the hindrance is us. That sometimes we put limits on him. And he's like, shoe fly, don't bother me. And so I think as you're coming in today, you may feel defeated. You may feel like you're the minority. You may feel like nobody understands your case, your situation, but the fact of the matter is, God is on your side. God is on your side. And so you plus God, you guys are the majority. We are the majority. We may not be the majority in numbers, but we are the majority in power and influence. And we need to remember that. We need, as we come in, we need to remember that we see a victory. We're coming with an air of expectation because we are created in god's image are we not and so if god is a mighty god then we too are mighty we too are strong and so remember that as you sing as you worship that is what we are doing we are worshiping our one true god that he is has been fulfilling every uh, all of our hopes and desires every step of the way and sometimes we forget that and some of us go oh no i know that will notify your face and, and i have to do that too i have to remember we all have our stories. We all have our baggage. But you know what? We also have God on our side. And if we believe that, then as we worship today, you're not worshiping to appease others. You're not worshiping. We're not even worshiping to entertain or anything, but we're worshiping to call out our mighty, one true God. So Let's go ahead and bow our heads, please. God, thank you so much for all your blessings. Thank you for everything that you've done in our lives. The good and the not so good. I know that there's a lesson that is in all of it. So I pray that as we worship, we just remember that you are sovereign, that you are mighty, that you are triumphant, that you are our victorious God. I pray that you give us the strength to realize that and rise up to the occasion to be more like you, to be more Christ-like, and to live out a victorious life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's continue on in worship.
2: So, how many of you guys forgot to set your clocks back? Or forward? Well, welcome to the first service. So anyway, um, this is uh, my second service. Dave let me back up here again. I am a volunteer, so you never know what you're going to say. But as long as I'm up here, hey, I even zipped my zipper this time. This is my wife, Shannon, and um, anyway, uh, I I get to do the giving message this morning, so I may not be invited back up here again. (laughs) You never know. Oh, that'd be horrible if my notes went away, wouldn't it? Okay, what I'm going to say this morning, some of you, it may challenge you, some of it may tick you off a little bit. Is that fine? All right. Anyway, let's start out with Matthew 22:37 through 39. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's a great commandment, right? We should all be doing that. So let's move on to Mark 16:15 where he talks about, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So those are some pretty major things in in the Christian faith. We need to go out and share the gospel. We need to love one another. And most of all, we need to love God, right? Are we agreed or am I in church? Yes? Yes? okay why do we do this I could ask I'm usually a you know audience participation but why do we do this well the, the Bible's clear it says whoever believes and is baptized will be saved that's a great thing right that's what we want for our friends and family right but whoever does not believe will be condemned to hell that's awful right So why are we here? Why are we here at church? Well, let me give you some statistics, by the way, that I I looked up. You can look them up on Bible.org. It's it's an organization. And they did some evangelistic statistics. Uh, For those of you that don't know what evangelistic means, that means go out and tell your friends about Jesus, right? Okay, these are going to, if you're like me, these things stun me. 95% of all Christians have never won a soul to Christ. I can't see you guys, but does that resonate with anybody here? 95% have never told anybody about Jesus. 80% of all Christians do not consistently witness for Christ. That means that you never even think about going out and sharing Christ. Less than 2% are involved in the ministry of evangelism at all. Less than 2%. And you know what? That's pretty typical. The average church has a few people that work here that uh, are paid, and then the rest of them are, you know, volunteers. But we have an exceptional church here, by the way. Many, many people work and and volunteer around here, which is great. So even some of you guys may be called to come up here and do this. 71% – and here's here's one that – the reason that I'm going to tie in why I'm doing the giving message. 71% – do not give towards the financing of the Great Commission. So, if we're not giving, others aren't receiving, right? And so, that is our call. We don't want to be—we uh, don't want to be a statistic. So, the harsh reality is these stats are true. And if we don't tell anybody, why are we here, right? So, I know you know you guys want to hear a great message. You want to hear some great music, and that is all true. But do you want to do it alone? I don't think so. So I'll just give you a little bit of my ter- personal testimony. Um, I've always wanted to be a rock star. <laughs> my wife's laughing because she knows I cannot sing. My favorite group is Boston. And, and uh, you know, that guy's got a high, he had a high voice. I mean, the guy could hit notes. Anyway, I'd love to do a concert for you all. And then and then afterwards, I'd love to preach like Billy Graham during my concert at the end, of course. And, and my goal would be to save thousands of people. Wouldn't that be great? A Boston concert and Billy Graham all at one time? <laughs> but it's never going to happen. And many of you, that'll never happen for you either. You've got your own dreams, right? So wish these notes would quit moving on me um anyway but i can do one thing and that one thing is i can i can give and i can bring people right and so can you and um one of the things that we do here at church is we make a we have a in today's society we have church so that we can influence people through professionals that do this right we bring a friend they may come and there might be a, a tremendous message that they get saved. They might get, um, you know, hear a great song and God will come, you know, the, the spirit of God will come upon them. Hope I don't fall off the stage. Um, so anyway, I believe that church can be a place to, for your friends to make it to heaven, right? So, so what can we do? I'm here to tell you you can be champion givers. You can be champion bringers. And we can get the job done, right? You can have, if you want to really be a good friend, invite them here. If you want to be a really, um, if you really want to participate in what we're doing, give. But give like a champion. So bring people to church. Be a champion giver. And don't be a statistic. Amen? Amen. So we're going to ask the ushers to come forward. Can't see a thing, but come on forward, guys. All right, I'm going to pray. I just want you guys to be rem- to remember this. You know, as you go today, and as you're thinking about, you know, hey, what, what did Mike say? How can I give? How can I participate? How can I help? There's lots of ways, but the, the biggest way is, you know, just just ask God, and He'll give you a, He'll give you an answer. So, with that, Lord, thank you for this time. Lord, touch the minds of the people out there and help them to just realize that this isn't a game. Our friends are are real. We don't want them to go to hell, but we don't know how to participate sometimes. So, Lord, we ask that you would help with our finances, that you would help us to give, that you'd be with us and touch our minds and touch our our pocketbooks, Lord. And, Lord, just help us to be not only... um, givers but doers lord help us to step out help us to volunteer help us to be part of journey ministry we just ask this in jesus name amen i'm gonna bring on tom and ann they're gonna come and give you some announcements so thank you guys
3: thank you mike we really appreciate that good morning good morning journey church how's everybody doing today
2: good day morning, like savings. Everyone.
3: so hopefully you guys will all be able to spring forward without fatigue that's gonna be your mission for the day so first, first things we're gonna do is to do a couple announcements. And uh, so, if there are any fifth or sixth graders here in the audience, you guys are dismissed to so go ahead and join your classroom for a wonderful Sunday school service.
4: So, how are you all feeling right now? Because you sound a little bit down, a little bit quiet. You kind of sound like first service. You know, is this what this is what it normally feels like. They're very tired, very tired. Wake up, everyone! Hey, okay, where are the parents out there? We have parents. We have parents, of course we do. Hey, I want to let you guys know, we have a family lobby over there where the exit sign is. It's out to the right. Uh, It is a great place. If you guys are feeling a little bit fussy and a little bit tired you need to go over there, feel free to do so. We also have in that same area the private mother and infant room where you guys can go and hang out if need be.
3: All right, well, we have some awesome opportunities coming up to get back for this season. So um, here at Journey Church, we're going to be having our annual Easter egg hunt. So this is for our little ones that will be in attendance. Um, It's going to be held in J Kids. So we're looking for any folks who might like to donate some eggs, uh, filled eggs, that is. And we want to drop them off the hotspot no later than April 5th.
4: All right. Hey, and uh, we want to let you guys know that Journey is joining up with uh, DCFC to bless 75 foster kids this Easter. Uh, what we'd like to do, very good. I wanna hear that again. Yes, very good. So what we would like to do, if you could, is if you would really wanna help out and you'd like to bring in an Easter basket, feel free to do so. If you don't wanna buy an Easter basket and you just wanna donate, we you go head up to the hot spot, and uh, we would definitely uh, appreciate that. Uh, the deadline for uh, bringing these things will be the fifth, which is the weekend before Easter.
3: Excellent. So maybe we can do some shopping after the service. Get them both done. Right, Tom?
4: (laughs) I guess so, yep.
3: So if you're new to Journey Church, welcome. We're honored to have you here. It's a pleasure to have you here and share this morning with us. Uh, We have a gift for you at this hotspot, which is the area right outside the doors to your right. So please stop by. And while you're there, if you wouldn't mind signing up for the newsletter, this is where you're going to find out about our special events coming up
4: absolutely so and this will not be the last joke about having to wake up early but guess what I'm gonna get you guys up we're gonna wake you up I want you to turn around and uh, shake hands with your fellow uh, journey mates
3: thank you
5: Alright. Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you're having a great Sunday morning so far. If you're not, fake it till you make it, right? It's going to be a good day. I'm excited to be with you guys. Uh, we're in the middle of our lasting relationship series, and it's been, it's been good. I, if you're new, my name is Tyler. I'm one of the team members here, and I get to talk to you a little bit about this series, it's been cool because really it's hitting a different approach than what we tend to take a lot of times when we start, uh, a lot of the our relationship series in the past have just been really practical, starting with things like vulnerability and communication and conflict resolution and the, all the ki- critical key elements of relationship, but this season has been one that I felt like God has kind of led us to, to talk a little bit, we've been feeling led to talk a bit more about even the more fundamental and foundational things that... That kind of get skipped over sometimes because they're not comfortable and people don't like it. It it ruffles feathers and people get frustrated and uh, it is what it is. So my dad gave this beautiful message about sex last week, and my favorite thing is he just straight up was like, "All right, this good morning today we're talking about sex," and you just felt everybody in the room was like, "Ooh!" Like (laughs) tension started instantly. People just got tight, all like rigid, and they were just like, "Okay." Uh, But I think it's good. Like if we can't talk about this here, where else are you supposed to talk about it? Everybody else is talking about it anyway. So why not talk about it, right? I'm not going to talk about it uh, because I'm single and that would be awkward. So, because I'm not supposed to know anything about that. So, uh, um, the reality is, is that I'm going to take it from the single perspective this morning. and living from the assumption that if we are entering into relationship with Jesus and we, have, we, are, we are attempting to live in this covenant relationship, our goal is to align ourselves with his way of doing life and the ways that he's called us to, believing that it will bring about the most fulfillment in our lives. But when it comes to singleness, this is something that I find really interesting. Uh, one, because I never wanted to be the poster child for singleness. Uh, and I definitely didn't want to draw attention to it. That's for dang sure. You know, like, hey. Uh, the reality is, is you know, I, I think like many of you, anybody had a, their whole life mapped out and when they were going to get married and family and all of that stuff? Anybody find that it didn't work out quite that way? Uh, yeah, for me, I, marriage and family and, and all of that was going to be by 25. <laughs> that came and went. Uh, <laughs> so that's been cool. Uh, really recalibrate and working around that. Little surprise from Jesus, thank you very much. Um, but this has been a topic that, for me, has been a point of contention for me and Jesus, if I'm really honest. Uh, because when you talk about relationship and marriage, and my dad talked about the beauty of it and, and how it's such a gift, and some of you guys aren't quite so sure because your marriage doesn't feel like that, and you're not laughing? <laughs> Dang. Real places. All right. But the single side, it's always interesting when you're having a single conversation because one of the times most often is it's married people trying to tell you how awesome being single is. And there is very few things that are more frustrating than that. Like, so good, I'm not going to do it, but you should do it. And it's great for you. Be single. But the reality is, especially if you're trying to do this the way that God asks us to and invites us to, that literally if you're not married... You're not having sex. The word is celibacy. The term used is celibacy, and it's this idea that you will live abstaining from sexual interactions and relations until you are married, like legitimately married. And so you're left with, I mean, kind of a puzzle because the question always comes down to then for single people who are trying to live that way, what's wrong with them, right? Y'all pretend like you're not judgy, but you're judgy. (laughs) It's the first question that comes up from people single for a long time. Well, what's wrong with you that you're single? Um, I mean, we don't have enough time to go into all my issues and why. Like, that could play a part in this. But the reality is, is, I mean, everybody else is jacked up too, right? So there's there's that element. There's the element of feeling like, you know, the pity and like, oh, poor me, I'm single. And people being like, oh, poor you, you're single. And... And from the single perspective compared to the married perspective, as a single person, you look at what marriage offers and when, they, when messages are given about like, oh, yeah, so marriage equals finding that person, the love of your life, and, and they're part of your every day. Um, you get sex. I mean, that goes without saying. Great. Awesome. Better than not having it. Uh, and then as a result of that, a lot of times, Kids. And that's great too, and you have this family, and now you go home, and you, do, you, go, and you go to work, and you have your, you know, your hours, and you're doing your thing, and then you come home not to an empty house, because the biggest thing when it comes to being single is the loneliness factor, the isolation, the feeling, and people are terrified of being alone, and there's a real reason for that, because being alone sucks, I can tell you, I'm single. There's points in time where this has been something that has been real frustrating for me with God because it feels like to be valued by God, to be blessed by God, is to then be given a relationship. If you're not, then there, not only is there something wrong with you, like maybe going on with you, but there is something wrong with you that God doesn't, like, love you as much. That everybody else is getting this beautiful gift and getting to participate in this amazing thing except for you. And so you're listing all these things and it's like, okay, great and I'm praying with Jesus, and I'm like, okay, so how are we gonna pump up this idea of singleness? And we have, you know, like, I start trying to list the pros and cons. It's like, well, we get to spend time sleeping in, you know, (laughs) great. Uh, We don't have intimacy, like, sexual intimacy. We, uh, you know, everybody goes on dates nights and is getting, you know, married and having families and all this stuff. And we're kinda, you're not a part of that. And then, and the reality is in our culture, the things that we celebrate most are usually surrounded around these types of relationships. Marriage, bachelorette party and bachelor party, uh, uh, bridal showers and weddings, uh, kids, babies, all of that, birthdays with your kids, for your kids. For single people it's like, it's always a constant celebration of what you're not a part of. And so that can be frustrating and that can be discouraging but I think God has really begun to put on my heart in this last couple years um, the reality that though this was not my intention, and this is not my plan, and, and hopefully not my forever, at the same time, there can be a good use of it. And so as we're going to look into it today, I think... Singleness can carry so much of a negative connotation. I want to just look at it from Matthew. Matthew 19, Jesus talking. Matthew 19, 1 through 12. I want to just take a look from here real quick. And this is what it says. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went down to the region of Judea, east of the Jordan River. Large crowds followed him there and he healed their sick. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? haven't you read the scriptures Jesus replied they record that from the beginning God made them male and female and he said this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one since they are no longer two but one let no one split apart what God has joined together then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a, a written notice of divorce and send her away they asked Jesus replied Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. But it was, not that, it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. Jesus', Jesus disciples then said, said to him, well, wow, if this is the case, it's better to not marry. Not everyone can accept this statement, Jesus said. Only those whom God helps And this is the statement he's referring to some are born eunuchs some have been made eunuchs by others and some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven let anyone accept this who can interesting conversation the reality is in this day and age marriage is understood to be held in such high regard that literally the two people are becoming one that there was no ability to remove that no matter if you like physically removed it changed it whatever but that because sex is not just a physical act it's a spiritual act that you you are literally molding yourself with another human being and that cannot be uh undone in any way shape or form so it was held in such high regard marriage was such a big deal but there were two main ways of thinking two lines of thinking going on in jesus day at this time one was that a man had permission and the right to divorce his his wife for any reason he saw fit, so you burned dinner, he could write you up, and and this was happening. You were getting old and unattractive. He could serve you your papers. You uh you stop performing well in bed, or or we're not pleasing him enough, and this put the woman, it, it, this put females in a very precarious position because back then you couldn't just go out and get a job and like kickstart your own your own life and and get on the internet and look for opportunity and go get an education and all of that stuff, you were left with three options. One, you could move back in with your family, usually begrudgingly on their part because you were now taking more of their resources and not able able to contribute. Two, uh, you could maybe get remarried, but at this point, you're considered tainted because you're no longer a virgin. And so you're left with maybe being the second choice third or fourth choice of any man who might take you which also added potential for abuse and a lot of other things that took place because her third option was prostitution and the reality was some of these guys didn't even feel like they had to give her a a written notice of divorce and that made even things more complex because if he did not choose to give her a written letter of divorce then it was said that she was still legally bound to him and married. So if then she went and chose to uh, step into prostitution, she could be killed for it. She, be- she could be killed for it because it was adultery. And in their culture, to cheat on your husband by becoming a prostitute or be- being found would lead to the death penalty. So the women were-, were left in a very precarious position. This was a big deal. So... The other line of thinking was that it was only through adultery, it had to be something very severe and very serious for a guy to be able to to divorce his wife. And there were cases where women divorced the men too, but it was way less safe, and so it was way less likely for them to do so because of all the things I just stated. So Jesus is telling all of this. And he's revealing the hearts because the reality is, is what Jesus is getting to in all of this is our heart. Would you, can I just make something real clear? Whether you're single or married in this room, what Jesus is after is your heart. Your behavior, everything that happens, all the do-better messages in the world cannot fix a broken and hurting heart, a wounded heart. We need a transformation that we cannot perform ourselves. It is a changed heart that brings a changed life and changed behavior. You cannot reverse that. So Jesus is always after the heart. If we can start to get those lenses every time we read scripture, it will help inform us on what he's trying to really do as he's communicating. What's taking place here is Jesus expressing the reality of these people's hearts, that their hearts are hard. And the disciples even go on to say, man... If you have to stay married outside of just some like really big deal, who, should, who, want, who's, who can get married? Because they're all banking on the fact that as soon as she, she isn't pleasing to me anymore, I can toss her away. Remarry and find a new one. And Jesus goes on to say these interesting things. Not everyone can accept the statement, Jesus said, only those who God helps. Some are born as eunuchs, some have been made eunuchs by others, and others choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. Now, as I was kind of praying through this with Jesus, I will be really honest with you, this verse legit pissed me off. I'm sorry I said that word, but it's the reality. I, I I got so frustrated because there is nothing more emasculating than the term eunuch, because by definition, it is emasculating. So then to be single and to be like, hey, congratulations, eunuch, like, seriously? Like to add insult to injury, like we're single and then now we are, what, spiritually castrated? Yeah, go get them, tiger, you know? Enjoy your life, live it to the full. Like, no, that is just the worst. I found myself super frustrated, and I had to start really praying because this is, They started to uproot some deeper theological things that I'm dealing with with God and had been over those seasons um, that I think were so interesting because when it comes to these issues, I really think we have this idea that in most cases, God is looking to give us things that we don't want. That God is going to somehow bait and switch you, that you, you finally like, muster up the courage to ask him to like you give him your life, and he's going to send you to Ethiopia. And you never get to eat Taco Bell ever again. Or, you know, I give my life over to Jesus, and he's going to somehow convince me that singleness is what I want, and it is not what I want. So I am not accepting that, and I'm never going to give that part of myself to him, because I don't trust that he's actually going to give me somebody. And we don't say that, but most of us, are, are acti- our active theology lives that all the time. And all, I, married or single, a lot of us do this. We don't always trust that God's heart for us is good or that he's got the best. When we hear God has your best intentions in mind, we hear things like your mom saying, this is going to be good for you, and that never was a good thing. That was like what they get when you were going to eat your vegetables and didn't want to, or when you, know, you were going to go be like, given your chores list, and you had to do these things or go mow the lawn or, or like starting to work out or, or doing different things, it always feels like there's an element of pain with that. And most of our underlying assumption is not that God and his desire for good for you isn't just something that is good for you, but is going to be the most ultimately fulfilling in you. We don't believe that God's heart for us is meant to fulfill us. It's just something that we have to deal with. We're going to be handed this thing, and we're going to deal with it. But I think it's interesting because I felt like God had to really... Uh, I felt convicted because I heard a message and, and a guy talking about the reality that Jesus, in this position, you know, people always want to use, like, Jesus and Paul as these, like, these ideal single folks. And I'm like, great, but it's Jesus and it's Paul. Like, am I might. How does my life compare to that in any other way, other than the fact that we're single? Like, this makes absolutely no sense. And and Jesus is sitting there, and I realize I minimize the effects of Jesus as, as the man that he is, and unintentionally, I can do, I can start to live out of a heresy called docetism. And the idea is that we separate God's humanity and his divinity and we make him that we we remove his humanity from him and just try to make him other than us. And the reality is, is that is a lie. He was fully God, but he was fully man. And chances were he was also heaping abuse as a result of being single as a 30 something year old man in his culture, because that was so uncommon. So Jesus had this reality, this understanding of what was going on, I think more so than we have any idea. But why would he say people would choose this? Because the first two options, the one was this understanding that Jesus had of intersex uh, tensions and relations and other struggles with your, the genitalia literally not being developed uh, at birth correctly, and so not being able to reproduce. And this was a tension for their culture because... This could be seen as as a curse from God. Uh, People were not able to then become priests. It limited their station, what they were able to actually participate in the Jewish community. They were seen as lower because because to live covenant life with God at the time was what God promised to Abraham, which was to go and to multiply their nation, that they were going to be this mighty nation. So if you couldn't contribute to that, then what are you here for? So marriage and having a wife that could produce you male heirs and continue on your family name was significant in this culture. The other was to, be, uh, to become eunuchs by, uh, by force, in essence, by the hands of somebody else. And usually this was done for people who were going to be working for the high-ups, and, and yeah, in some of the reading I did, it was like, oh yeah, so they, they were able to take positions of power, and they, they were able to step into these really important roles, but really what they ended up, a lot of them doing, yeah, some of them were like public figures and able to help out because of their central focus, but a lot of them also just like managed the king's harem, and they no longer were worried that he was gonna like rape or have interactions with these women because he was castrated. So they would castrate the men so that there was no longer any issues or fear and, th- and that made them less than men. And in some ways, yeah, they had power and they had opportunity. But as I came to this, I'm like, God, why would anybody choose this? If we're really honest, why would anybody choose this? And I came back to Paul. And I want to look at what Paul says. In 1 Corinthians 7, 7, this is what he says. But I wish everyone were single just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God, one kind, of one kind or another. Paul has a funny understanding of gifts. I think this is one of the central ways where people who, whenever you hear a message about singleness, usually from a married person, it's this fear that God is going to give you this gift that you didn't expect. And it's like when you get that present that you you didn't ask for or you weren't wanting. And, and you know, it's like I, I have this beautiful gift for you. And you go to open it and you're like... Wow, you shouldn't have. (laughs) And that's what singleness feels like. Like, am I going to open up this gift and be like, oh, great. I'm destined to a life of being alone. Awesome. Thank you, God. Yay. Like, how did Paul view this? How was he able to start to see this as the most important thing that he wished that everybody was able to do this and take this approach to life? He's a lot more spiritual than i am for one thing but he goes on to say in first corinthians uh seven we're going to move down to 32 and through 35 and he says this i want you to be free from the concerns of this life an unmarried man can spend his time doing the lord's work and thinking how to please him but a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife his interests are divided in the same way a woman who is no longer married or an, ...or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I am saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best. Mark that down. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord the best with as few distractions as possible... He is not saying that being single is better than being married. It's just different. And it has unique opportunity, unlike being married people or the situation that married people find themselves in. If When I really prayed through what does the single person have that, that the married person is, is limited in, it is the most significant and important currency of our world. Time. The only one you can't get more of. Time, it is the thing that we are constantly trying to gain control over and work towards. Time, single folks, you have time. You may not feel like you do, but you have time. They say that your time gets cut uh, in about half where you get about 70% of your time after you get married gets dedicated to, 60 to 70% gets dedicated to your significant other. And then 15% more is taken away for every kid that you have. Sorry if you have more than one kid, right? Rough days for you. Time, time, it is not a bad thing. Those are the blessings and the gifts of God that he has given you. But for single people, the redemptive nature of this is that we have an opportunity to redeem our time. What will we do with that time? Usually there's three, three approaches we take to that. The one of the most common is we take control. And this is not just a, married peop- or a single people problem. We all struggle with control. When one way or another, every single one of us struggles with control over our lives. But single people, uh, this is where I can f- feel this tension where, God, if you're not going to handle it, I'll handle it for myself. And we go and force the hand of God and make something happen. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? And then when that doesn't work out, or maybe it does, and you end up with the wrong person or whatever, and we, and we feel this pressure to be married, to get to rush it because, you know, we're running out of time. I'm running out of time. i got to get that, I got to find my person. i got to get married. i got to have... That life, you know, we're on schedule here. We also have a tendency of people falling to depression. A sense of hopelessness and despair. A wallowing in that isolation, in that hope, in that sense of being alone. But the third option is this. To redeem it. To begin to see what Paul sees. And this is what I want to propose to you today. There are two things that he says here that I think are really significant. I love, and I already talked about it, but the second part of verse 32 says, an unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. His time. Time is what's significant there, is that a person who is single-focused can have more time to dedicate. And you may find yourself, and if honestly, and if this is a casual thing for you, being with God and going to church is just a casual thing for you, this isn't going to do much for you. I'm going to be real honest, because this will start to reveal the true nature of what you believe about God and, and the role that your relationship with Jesus plays into your life every day. This will start to reveal that like nothing else, because if you're left just kind of going, okay, cool, then you don't understand the weightiness of what this means, the opportunity that's here, what we have at our fingertips The second thing he says is this, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. One of the most central aspects to your theology and what I think is so anemic and dying in our culture and in the church today is your eschatology. Your eschatology, which is the study or the science, the understanding of last things, the end. Now, yes, we are about to go into a series on the end times and it can get real, people can get real weird when we start talking about the end time stuff. If you've been growing up in church and been in church for any amount of time, you know like it can get real wacky real quick. Dragons and pregnant women and planets and all kinds of crazy stuff starts happening. Like what does that mean? But I think more significantly than your ability to interpret the end times is the understanding and a strong eschatology of your end my end the end of our lives the end of of our story here you know it's it's i think it's important to recognize that what paul had in mind that kept him moving kept him motivated and whether uh whether it was for the temporary or the long term a lot of people believe that paul was probably married at one point or another early on in his life that because it was so uncommon to be single and that he was pursuing uh, the, the role of a Pharisee and was studying under that it, it was there was potential and maybe even likely that he had been married at one point or another and that his, he was either widowed or that his wife had left him when he became saved. And it, there's no I mean directly in scripture there's nothing to directly state that but that is is pretty well accepted and the reality is is. He's able to say after all of that, he'd rather be single. I don't think it's just because he had a terrible marriage. I think it's because what he started to see and the full weight and reality of where we're at and his world, what was all around him, was that he recognized we are on mission. How many of you are the type of people that when you get stuck and you get in a project or you get on a thing, everything else, you can't see anything else? One track minded. Put the TV on. There's no conversation happening. They cannot talk. There's no, it is, it is just laser focused on this one thing. You get into a task. Those are the, I, that is the way that Paul began to see this. And this, was, this mattered. See, going in further, Jesus having a conversation with uh, some Sadducees. And they're getting into this, trying to bring him and bait him into this debate about resurrection. But they start by having this conversation with him about Marriage. And so their whole thing is they come up to him and they're like, okay, Jesus, so hypothetically, there's a man. He gets married. They don't have kids. He dies. So, customary in that culture was the next uh, brother in line would marry her. But then he doesn't have kids with her and he dies. So, she goes on down the line till the seventh brother. So, who's she married to in the kingdom, in the resurrection? when all this is said and done, who's she married to? Jesus. This is what Jesus says. Jesus is a savage, by the way. (laughs) Jesus replied, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. This is significant. In a culture that is obsessed with falling in love, finding your, your person, having this whole idealized view of what this is all gonna look like that is unrealistic and really is fairly new because I mean, if y'all didn't know this, for a long time, what was more normal was uh, betrothal and uh, arranged marriages. This idea of falling in love and you having the choice finding your person is a fairly new concept and we've taken it and we've run with it. And it's really why there's so much disappointment within marriage because you keep thinking that there's gonna be a person That is going to fix that longing, those holes, those parts in you that feel empty and and that, that are still looking and craving something real and something more. And then you get them and you look at them and you realize, nope, you're not it either. And then so we just move on to the next and the next and the next, only to find that we are more and more empty and more and more dissatisfied in relationship. Or maybe you're just sticking it out in this marriage and you're equally unhappy and unsatisfied because, see, this is not, just a, this is not a single, just a singles message this morning. This is the reality, folks. We each have to develop an eschatology, a real strong understanding of the end. Now, when I start talking about that, that is a big deal in our culture with the coronavirus going on right now. Some of you feel like your end is literally a, a handshake away. <laughs> you and your hand sanitizer and your, you know, your... Your water, all your water bottles. I'm not hating, but here's what I'm saying. This is the reality. We live in a world today where it matters. Scripture communicates to us that time is against us. Some significant things are happening right now in our culture and have just taken place this week. One, uh, the Gabriel Fernandez trials came out on Netflix, and that is sweeping, and people like sweeping around the nation, and it is like messing with people. People are angry and they are scared. The other thing is the coronavirus. The other thing is, for most of you, you probably voted this last week. And can I just say, there are few things more divisive and that bring out ugliness in people like politics does. It gets ugly real fast. And this is the reality. These things are all important, but they begin to just cultivate fear, angry hearts, and and we wanna point the fingers. Isn't it so funny that it's natural in all of us to want to blame somewhere? I'm single, I wanna blame God, or I wanna blame my ex, or I wanna blame, we're upset with, you know, you watch that documentary, you wanna blame the parents, you wanna blame everybody and be so mad at them. We get into politics, you wanna blame the other party, you wanna blame the government, you wanna blame, we wanna point the finger everywhere and the reality is, is we're stuck in this cycle that is so consumed with all of this fear and this, this turmoil and, and all of this that, that the single people are also on top of that just being like, So, like everybody else is doing, we're gonna lock our doors, bar our windows, and pad our walls and just wait for Jesus to come back. No. No. Because the reality is, is that if you believe in God, then you have to believe in the sovereignty of God. And if you believe in the sovereignty of God, then one, not only does he have good for you and the desire to fulfill your life, but two, until your time card is punched and your day is done, you are invincible. Because if God is sovereign and over your life, when your day comes, there's not a single person who can help you. But until that day, there is nothing to stand in your way and we have to be on mission. There is a dying, hurting, lonely, scared world out there, and we have answers. See, God did not bring transformation. God did not bring transformation to our lives, redeem you, take your shame and your hurt and your ugliness and your pain, just so that you can live just a kind of happy, fulfilled, fun, like, let's party life. It's so that you can turn around and see people. And recognize that they may have started at a negative five when you started, got to start at a positive three from the place you were born to the family you grew up in to the type of world you experienced to loving and nurturing parents or lack thereof. But no matter where you came from, the, it, the ground is even at the foot of the cross. And Jesus invites us all and says, come. But he didn't set us all up so that we can just hang out until he comes back. We are on mission, y'all. The moment you got invited and and entered into relationship, you accepted the gift and took on covenant. You signed up for a purpose that is far bigger than just hanging out. You signed up to be the change in the world. Y'all, we cannot afford to be petty like the rest of the world anymore. To get into petty arguments. Oh, well, they mistreated me, and they said this, so I'm going to say that, and this is how my, I'm going to respond, and they cut me off, and this, that, and the other thing. Y'all, if we don't start transcending our current cultural state and rising above it, our world is doomed. But the answer is not just more happy relationships. We are on mission. We are on mission. We want to blame the parents and stuff, but, I mean, even if you, if you watch the documentary, you, my question instantly is, What did the parents go through to get them to the place where that was normal and okay for them? And who was there to love them? See, this is the thing, we wanna make this so complex. It is as simple as we've gotta place dignity back on people. We've gotta remove the shame. You do not help fix shame by adding on more shame. Anybody with shame knows that. You shame me more, I'm just gonna avoid you. I'm not gonna come running. Ooh, please more, yeah. Make me feel worse. Yeah, I love that. Mm. <laughs> Nobody's doing that. Nobody's doing that. What removes shame, what heals shame, is loving people where they're at. You start respecting people, and they start to act respectably. We start loving people well. They start to experience the kingdom. See, we can't afford to just live like everybody else, whether you're single or you're married in this room, because the reality is, is that there is a need out there. We have the, a cure. We have an answer. We have an opportunity, and it's not just going to the street corners and yelling, "Turner burn, or, you know, screaming, Jesus loves you. It is as simple as smiling at the register when you're checking out all your freaking water bottles. It's as simple as, I think it's so, you know, it's so interesting that, of course, I believe it's of the enemy, this whole idea with the coronavirus, because you know what's removed? Physical contact. People are now terrified to even shake each other's hands. The things that make us human, the things that we need and crave most, we can't even do without fear that we're going to die and we're going to contract this thing. We have to love people where they're at. We've got to be able to be like Jesus, to be able to touch, to love, to see, to bring value back to a hurting world that is so afraid that the reality is that they are unworthy. And if we all go around and just perpetuate that same problem by sharing that same message because they have differing ideas and and, you know, and we got into this ugly debate on Facebook or whatever, we miss it. We miss it. Singles in this room, you have an opportunity. To expand your mind to grow take time travel read do what broaden your perspective spend time with God while people are on date night hang out with Jesus now I'm not some hyper spiritualized person to think like oh man Jesus on date night so cool <laughs> no no but the reality is is that I can spend that time focusing in honing in my skills Asking God to lead me into my calling, moving in a direction where I'm part of the solution rather than just more noise of what's wrong with the world. We don't need any more help with that. We need some people who are ready to say, I can't do everything, but I have a passion for this. I can step up in this area. I wanna start being a part here. I have the opportunity because the shame and all the insecurity, see, this is the thing. When we start letting God mold us and shape us, why he wants to shape our sexuality, why he wants to shape our relationships, why he wants to shape our world is because we keep having a tendency of piling more shame back on and Jesus keeps trying to take it back off. But until we remove that cycle, We can't fully be outwardly on mission and aware of what he's trying to do all around us. We miss the people that you rub shoulders with every single day. That may just need a hello. Hi, look at their name tag. How are you doing? How was your day? We gotta see people, folks. If you're single, we've got to use this time, redeem this time. Maybe you never asked for this gift and you don't want it. And and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with wanting to be married and have a family and all of that, nothing wrong with that. But what I am saying is you have an opportunity to either waste that time by sitting, having a pity party, feeling sorry, or trying to control it, running out and just dating whoever you can and trying to rush the process and, and make it your own. All we can recognize that this is far bigger, that marriage is temporary, your relationship with Jesus is eternal. The whole point of that verse about, uh, that Jesus is talking about is to draw attention to the fact that it comes down to your eschatology. If you do not, if you have a weak eschatology, your understanding of the end, the end of your life, the end of things, then you are never going to recalibrate your value system and your principles, your, your hopes, your dreams around kingdom things. It will always look exactly like culture. And we live in a day and age that people have to, we're gonna have to start rising above culture. We have to be the bigger person. We're gonna have to start letting God mold us. And we do that by spending time with him because you want God's heart. You're gonna have to spend time with him. Your behavior's not gonna fix this alone. We need heart transformation so that I can see people and no matter how they behave, I can see a broken heart and recognize I can love that heart. We gotta love people better by letting Jesus love us first, sitting with him. Y'all, this is why you don't. we're not pushing quiet time and intentional time with God so that you just get really spiritual. No, it's so that you, the overflow, the natural byproduct is that you are able to love well. So that in the simple interaction, somebody snubs you. You have the opportunity to snub them back or you can realize you have the answer your shame your insecurity your need to prove yourself or to not let anybody run you over is all in the past and now I can love them because there's a broken person inside there that Jesus loves and if he has value puts value on them I can put value on them let him take it let, let's take it up with him let him handle it i'm going to get ready to pray wherever you're at this morning married or single it's irrelevant Because God will bring, what will be, will will be. It is what it is. But what will you do with it? The time that you got. You can use it being bitter. You can use it being mad and and being divisive. Or we can use it by investing our time where it counts, where it matters most. Y'all, my biggest prayer for us as a church is that we start to get such a strong eschatology that our understanding of the end is so present in our minds that a lot of the temporary, petty stuff cannot stop us. When Jesus said, go out into all the world and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that we aren't scared of a virus that's gonna keep us from doing exactly that because I have a stronger theology of who my God is than any type of diagnosis that could come about or anything that could stop the movement of Jesus in this broken world. So if Jesus calls you to go, live the adventure and go, do something. Just please, for the love of God, do not just sit around and wait. Because we have so much opportunity, so much power to bring life, to breathe life into this city to this community. It takes each of us. I'm going to pray. If you find yourself lonely this morning, this was not a, to, to slap anybody who's lonely or has anxiety or anything like that. It's just the reality that of trying to paint a bigger picture. But if you are struggling with loneliness and depression this morning and you want prayer for that, um, I want to pray for that. Can you just raise your hand as the heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want... I don't wanna embarrass anybody, but if you're struggling with depression and loneliness today, can you raise your hand for me? Okay, yeah, yeah. Others of you are struggling with dep- or with anxiety, and the reality is, is I brought this stuff up, but the truth is, is you really are paralyzed by fear, and there's a lot of fear that's been dictating your life and you feel stuck to it, and you want prayer for that. Can you raise your hand if that's you this morning? You got anxiety? Whether with things in politics or the things with the, the viruses or whatever's going on, you feel, you feel stressed. You feel the weight of all the uncertainty of this world piling on you. Okay. We're going to pray. I believe God's going to do some powerful stuff. Holy Father, I pray that as we stand here today that you would begin to redeem each of our time. That you would uplift those who find themselves depressed, single or married, divorced or widowed. God, that this would be a moment in time that they would experience your presence like never before. Your real, tangible presence. God, that you would just pour out on them. That they would recognize nothing but your love for them. Heal their hurting hearts. God, for those struggling with anxiety, I just it's a real thing. Anxiety is real. The stress and pressure and fear of all the uncertainty and all the things going on in our world that we can't control can really be overwhelming. Father, I pray that it would just cease in this moment. That you, the Father, the Prince of Peace, would just breathe life. Remove the weight off the chest god that there would be an ability to just breathe across this room god i pray that you would just grow our eschatology that we would each have such a strong vision and a view of what ultimately matters that it would begin to shape our everyday that we would be on mission and no matter what you have in store for our lives whether it is just a season of singleness or a life of singleness, whether we choose one or the other, Father, that we would just find ourselves so wrapped up in relationship with you and on mission that we don't have time for the petty stuff. I pray for those who are struggling in their marriages today, that you would bring healing there, restore them as only you can. Lead us and guide each of us, Father. I pray that you would just grow a craving in us to desire you more, to be closer to you, to have a relationship with you. Lead us. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to close in a song. If you would stand with me. We're going to sing. Why don't you go ahead and sing with us as we close.
0: so much for, again, all your blessings. I pray that we just live strong, we love strong, and we live our lives according to your purpose. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week, Journey. See you next time.